here now today on what is referred to as Palm Sunday. It is today one of the four biggest Christian holidays. Now, we all know some CEOs. Everyone knows some CEOs. Those are people who go to church on Christmas and Easter only, okay? Now, those are two big Christian holidays, but Palm Sunday and Pentecost don't get as much appreciation as they, as they need. Next weekend, Easter, that's where our faith is built on, the resurrection. And I can say this, we have never added more seats to a, chair, a church for Palm Sunday. And it's something that we should do in the future. Pentecost, we should be adding more, more seats there. Uh, Palm Sunday, it just it, it doesn't get the credit that it deserves. It all started with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is the last time that Jesus is going to enter the city of Jerusalem. And he knows that this is his last time. He will ride into Jerusalem... But he won't ride out. He won't leave. In this entry into the city of Jerusalem, this is going to lead to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Today on Palm Sunday, we are actually at the beginning of what we call Passion Week. Passion being love, right? So this is Jesus' love for us. This is a passion week. You've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, right? And you say, well, well, how come we're seeing Jesus massacred? He's just destroyed physically, and we're calling it passion. Isn't passion love? Yeah, it is love. This is the, the passion of Jesus, passion week. So this is starting the early part of the week. And our story starts in a small town called Bethany. Bethany is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. People are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. It is one of the major feasts and festivals that happens in Jerusalem, and Jews from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover. They would also come for Pentecost, which is about 50 days later. There were certain festivals that people would come for, and, and Passover is one of them. We'll talk about Passover soon, what it represents. It's a Passover uh, that we saw in, in the book of Exodus. But there's so many people coming to town. There might be up to a million people in the city of Jerusalem right now. And Jesus was also coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, we know that he has been there before to celebrate the Passover. But this time, it's in his mind that he's going to go. And we're going to be even a couple of weeks before he leaves to get there, okay? He knows that Passover is coming up in a month or so. Jesus is out in the wilderness now ministering with his disciples, and he gets, he gets word. I am going to be jumping from a few different Gospels. I'm in John chapter 11 right now, and I'm going to read us a good part of John chapter 11 because I want you to see exactly what is leading in to Passion Week, why this is such a big deal. John chapter 11, verse number 1, it says this, A man named Lazarus was sick. 
He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. So Mary, Martha, Lazarus live together, siblings, know Jesus, they're all friends. Jesus is a long way away. They sent a messenger saying Lazarus is sick. sick." Verse number five. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Verse number 11. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. Verse 14, so he told them, these are the disciples who he is with, plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad he wasn't there. So now you will really believe, come, let's go and see him. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles from the town of Jerusalem, and many of the people who had come to console Mary, or many people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said. He will rise when everyone else rises in the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to hear that from Jesus? He goes on in verse 26. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you were the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and said, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So immediately Mary went to him. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. By the way, it's the shortest verse in the entire Bible. Is John eleven thirty five? Jesus wept. So memorize that, and we'll have a test next week. Okay. The people who were standing by said, "See how much he loved him." But some said, "This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying?" As he, Jesus arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled at the entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here. Remember, Mary, Martha, Jesus, his disciples, and the mourners from Jerusalem, all standing there, okay? Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him 
and let him go. That is an amazing miracle, amen? That's the miracle that is going to lead to the frustration because you see these people who had come from Jerusalem to witness this. There's other miracles that they have witnessed, but they've never seen Jesus or anyone, for that matter, anyone raise another person from the dead. And when Jesus said, it's a good thing that I wasn't there. Jesus waited two days wherever he was. You know why? He needed that dead body to be in that grave for four days. So everyone knew this man is dead and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. That's why he waited. John tells us that many people who saw Lazarus raised from the dead, they believed in Jesus. They believed in him right then. They had seen that miracle. But some of them went back into the city of Jerusalem and they told the Pharisees. These are the Jewish leaders. These are the men at the temple, right? So we got some tattletales that are running back and telling the church leaders, hey, Jesus is raising people from the dead. And, and, and these religious leaders, they saw Jesus as a threat, a big threat. I'm in John chapter 11, verse number 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas who was the head priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration. This is in verse 55, remember? The Passover is coming up. There's a lot of people who are going to be coming to town. The leaders, they kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so that they can arrest him. Are you starting to see the tension leading up to Easter, leading up to the crucifixion? You see that? If Jesus was truly the Messiah, the Messiah and the power that they knew that they had read about, then, then that means that, that their faith, their Jewish faith has come to a conclusion and their power is going to be destroyed. If Jesus is the Messiah, then the Jewish tradition, the churches, it, it is done because that's what they are waiting for is the Messiah. If Jesus is the Messiah, there is no need for this Jewish nation. If there was no need for the Jewish nation, the Romans would come in and take over completely. That's what, that's what the, the leaders were afraid of. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time or online, on the back of your bulletins, there's some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those answers. They're going to be up on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Just as the truth of the miracles of Jesus point to him being the Messiah, still some people will refuse to believe. Just as the truth of the miracles 
of Jesus point to him being the Messiah, still some people will refuse to believe. They had just seen him raise a man from the dead. And they had heard of his other miracles. Jesus had a reputation already. People had seen him. Some of his other miracles that we know of, uh, he, he changed water into wine. He healed a leper. He healed a paralyzed man. He calmed a storm. He, he healed a mute, demon-possessed man. He fed 5,000 people and their families. He walked on water. He healed a possessed girl who was possessed by a demon. He healed a deaf man. He fed another 4,000 men and their families. He healed a blind man. And there are so many other miracles that people saw him do, and you can't have doubts in what Jesus has done. You can't have doubts. If you were one of those 5,000 men with the families that are being fed, and you know that there is a small amount of food, and Jesus stretched that out to feed everyone, how can you doubt that? If you see him literally walking on water, how can you doubt that? The, a paralyzed man had been, he had been lame from birth, never walked in his life. People walked by him as he begged for money all the time when they went into the temple. And Jesus comes and heals him, and the man starts walking. How can you deny that? But still people did. There's an old saying that says that you can tell a man that there are 581,678,934,341 stars in the universe. And he might believe you. But if you put up a sign that says wet paint, that man's going to test it to find out for himself. It's going to happen every time. I'm in John chapter 12, and I'm in verse number 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man that Jesus had raised from the dead. And the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them, the priests, and believed in Jesus." What would we do, you and I, what would we do if we knew that Jesus was coming to our town for a week for a celebration? What would we do? I don't know what our big Paris celebration annual event is, but if we knew that the guest of honor was Jesus himself coming to town what would we do with all that we know about our Lord and Savior? Would we send him to the cross? Would we do that? I want you to think about this. This is the situation that is going on. Now, they don't have the rest of the story. You and I do. We've got 13 letters from Paul. We've got five letters from John. We've got Peter's writings. We know more than they knew then. But they had seen these miracles, and these people would 
fall to peer pressure and they would ask for, for, for Barabbas to be released and they would send Jesus to the cross. I'm in John chapter 12. I'm in verse number 12. This should be up on the screen also. The next day, a great multitude had come to the feast and when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! And then Jesus, he went and found a young donkey and he sat on it as it is written. This is a prophecy in verse number 15. A prophecy that said, fear not, daughter of Zion. Zion is Jerusalem, okay? Fear not, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The prophecy is telling Jerusalem, your king is coming and he is not coming with a huge parade. He's not coming in on a magic carpet. No, he is coming in riding on a he is coming in very humbly. Verse number 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that, that they had done these things, they being the people, had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him and they heard that he had done these signs. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. What amazement and what glory would there be in our world if the world's religious leaders were to say this, were to say to Christians, or to say to, to, to their demonic disciples that, that really want to drag you into the world's false faith, what if they said to each other, look, you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him, has gone after Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? If our worldly false religion huddled up and said, hey, we can't fight Jesus, that would be amazing. Amen, that would be amazing. On Palm Sunday, as Jesus is making his last trip into Jerusalem, the people who had laid down their cloaks and they had laid down these, these palm branches, they knew who he was, but some of them still refused to believe. The people had read the prophecies about the coming Messiah, and still they wouldn't believe. These people cried out. They cried out, cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they couldn't hold on to their faith. Five days later, some of these same people would, per, would, would participate in a crowd that cries out for the crucifixion of Jesus. Same people. Some of them couldn't stand up to the world. It's more than just the miracles of Jesus that they knew about. Many of them could, could recognize his presence based on the scriptures, which would be our Old Testament, their scriptures. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. Just as the truth of the prophecies of Jesus point to him being the Messiah, some people will refuse to believe. Just as the truth of the prophecies point to Jesus being the Messiah. People are still going to refuse this. I'm in Matthew chapter 21, and this is a quote, verse number 4 and 5. It's a quote from Zechariah 
chapter 9, verse 4. It says this, and I read this a minute ago. This took place to fulfill what was, spit, what was written through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, remember that's Jerusalem, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Just the fact that he is riding into town on a donkey, people are calling him king, they're referring to him as the son of God, as the son of David. They should have recognized that. They knew these prophecies. That is the Son of God. The Apostle John writes in his gospel, he quotes a prophecy from the book of Isaiah in John 12, uh, verse number 38, and this is written from Isaiah 53, and this will be up there on your screen, verses 1 through 6. Isaiah writes this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If that's not a wonderful prophecy of the life of Jesus, I don't know what is. Now that prophecy is going to come true in a few days from this moment that he's riding into town when his hands are going to be pierced for us. Some of these prophecies that the people would have known about, these are no secret. Here's the thing. There's no separation in church and state back then. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish. The church is, it, it, it manages the life of the Jews. Now, the Romans have authority over the land. But if you're Jewish, you know this stuff. They would have recognized these, these prophecies, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Check. That the Messiah would be born from a virgin. Check. That the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. That the Messiah would spend time in Egypt. That the Messiah would, would, would be, after the Messiah comes, there's going to be a massacre of children that happens in his birthplace. Check. That's in history. A messenger would prepare the way for the Messiah. That is John the Baptist. We've seen that. The Messiah would be rejected by his own people. We see that. They would have seen that. The Messiah would be a prophet. The Messiah would be declared the Son of God. These people declared him the Son of God that day on his way into Jerusalem. He would be called a Nazarene. They knew he was from Nazareth. They would, he would bring light to Galilee. He would speak in parables. He would be called king. He would be praised among the children. These are prophecies. That the people in Jerusalem, these same people laying down coats, laying down palm branches, would know and can see. Would we be able to fall back on the prophecies and know that the man who we laid down our coat for is actually Jesus Christ? Or would we doubt or would we doubt, or would we stand with 
the crowd? Would we stand with the world? Would we stand up with this worldly false religion that you can do whatever you want and that, that Jesus is just an afterthought, it's just part of life if you want it, if you want him? Would we stand with that and say, you know what, crucify him. Crucify him, that's fine with me. It's more than the evidence of the Bible that proves that Jesus is the Messiah. It's more than the miracles. It's more than the prophecies. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. Just as the truth of the words of Jesus point to him being the Messiah, still some people will refuse to believe. The words of Jesus I'm in John chapter 14, verse number 5. Jesus says this, And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord... Show us the Father, that, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for so long, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but rather the Father is in me, living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Those are the words of Jesus. It's interesting that we as adults we have all of this Bible knowledge. We have all of this head knowledge. Maybe you've been going to church your entire life. Maybe you've only been going to church for a month. Maybe you've only been here a handful of times. And you're kind of trying to get a hold on what this thing is. This all starts with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah who was sent from heaven to earth born of a virgin, who would die on a cross, who would pay for all of our sins because the wages of sin, wages, that's what you earn, the wages of sin is death. That means if we sin, we should die. That's the rules. He died for us so that we could live forever. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I wonder, though, if we could stand up for that or when the world lays its pressure on us, if we would cave. This Palm Sunday, we must understand that it was the actions of people who could not believe in the evidence that pointed to Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah. They wouldn't believe in that, and it's those same people who sent him to the cross on Friday that 
this Christian celebration holiday, which doesn't get the attention that it deserves, it leads to Easter next Sunday, a celebration that in our faith, in Christian faith, everything is built on Easter. If there is no resurrection from the dead, there is no salvation for our souls. If there is no bodily resurrection out of the grave, there is no hope. It all relies on Jesus. With all that we know about him, would we turn from our Lord and Savior when our world is crying out, crucify him, crucify him, get him out of here, get him out of here. The, 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 the less we hear of Jesus, the better off we are. Let me tell you what that means. When the world says the less we hear of Jesus, the better off we are, what that means is the less I hear about Jesus, the more easy it is for me to live in my guilt. That's what that means. But see, here's the ironic thing, is Jesus isn't here to shine light on our guilt. He's here to shine light on his glory. See, your guilt is irrelevant in the eyes of Jesus. That's what he came for. That's what he came for for all of us. On Palm Sunday, we sing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. But what will we be singing on Monday? What will we be singing on Tuesday? Thousands of years ago, some of these same people that laid down palm branches some of these same people, they wanted power. Some of these same people, they wanted religion. They wanted to, to believe in something. They wanted to be part of society. They wanted to be part of a special group. They wanted to be part of whatever it is that was hip and, 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 and exciting in, in their world. They wanted to be left alone from God. They wanted themselves as men to be praised. The Messiah was what they were looking for. And Jesus was who they needed. And they said, crucify him. Get him away from us. Our world likes to do that still. It's because of what they wanted that they put down their palm branches and they traded their palm branches from, for protest signs and waving fists in the air asking for Jesus to be killed five days later. That's what they did. Day one, Jesus is coming in, and they're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe. Palm branches on the ground, you are the king. And later on in the week, they join in with the rest of society. They pick up picket signs, they hold those up, fists in the air, and they say, crucify him. Let's get this one out of here. We can have the life you want without God, but that's only if we move to kill Jesus. Or we can accept our king on the back of a colt and praise him, saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. We can be who Jesus needs us to be instead of making Jesus who we need him to be. Write that down, that's powerful. We can be who Jesus needs us to be instead of making Jesus who we need him to be. 
Our worldly peer pressure likes to do that. It likes to avoid looking at the truth. It likes to take Jesus and put him in a box, put him in church, put him on Sunday morning, and then let's have our kids go, and we're going to go and play sports games on Sunday. We're going to take something that is sacred and holy, and we are going to make it worldly and sinful, and we are going to claim it as our own. That is what our world wants to do. We can be who Jesus needs us to be, Instead of us making Jesus who we need him to be. Let me tell you, what: some in this world are only going to come to Jesus. They're only going to pray, only going to pray before they buy that lottery ticket. They're only going to pray before their family gets in the car to drive a long way away. They are only going to pray as if they are rubbing a genie out of a bottle. That's not Jesus. And that's not faith. It's not. Jesus died for us. And he died for our guilt. I mentioned a minute ago, it's not your guilt that he is here to proclaim. He is here to proclaim you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are adopted into the family. You are with me. I got your back. That's what Jesus wants to proclaim for you. But still we let our guilt get in the way. We let our past get in the way and we say we're not, we're not worthy of that. We're not worthy of that. Well, get in line. I'm not either. I'm not either. There's no one that lived then or lives now who is worthy of what Jesus has to offer for us. We're not worthy, but he still offers it for us. Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Will you pray with me?